This is an interview with Herman Connor, a renal medullary carcinoma survivor. I made a chubby emu video describing his case, link in the show notes. But here is the man himself telling his story and how it all went down. This is a high-grade aggressive cancer linked to sickle cell. Median age of diagnosis is 28 years old. Less than 5% of people who are diagnosed with this cancer survive past 36 months. Here's Herman. Around the time I graduated from college, the economy wasn't doing well during that time. It was the time when the recession uh, was going on. So after graduating college, my main focus was to get a job. Many other college students I went to school with, many friends, we all were searching for jobs and just applying to any job that we could get. It was, it was really quite difficult afterwards because you have student loans that you're you know obligated to pay back and uh, when you're trying really hard you know to get a job you know that that was basically most of my life after graduating was just trying to find a job to hopefully um, start paying back my student loans and get a career started that proved to be difficult with the economic situation at the time. Around the time I noticed I was feeling sick. I had worked a seasonal job earlier that year. Once that was over with, I decided I would go back to school. Um, medical school at the time or graduate school was what I was um, thinking of pursuing. I ended my job search and decided to just focus on studying for the GRE and the MCAT at the time as well as maybe looking for a part-time job. In August of 2011, I noticed just a light tickle in my back near the ribcage area. It was persistent on a daily basis. It was almost like an itch that you couldn't scratch, but it was deep. Eventually that tickle became a dull ache and the dull ache became a pain by December of that year. The dull ache, I thought maybe it was my mattress because I wasn't working out or exercising or anything at the time. So I knew I didn't do anything physically that could have, you know, hurt my back or cause back pain. So I began to think maybe it was my mattress. I went to visit my sister in Colorado. The back pain started to get better. So that sort of made me think, you know, maybe it was my mattress since, you know, I was sleeping on a different mattress over at my sister's place. And then when I came back, the back pain, you know, eventually started back up maybe three weeks later into the next year of 2012. That dull ache became more of a pain sensation. And then the pain sensation started to radiate down towards the groin region. And then maybe a month after it became pain sensation, I would receive a sharp pain in the back region. And whenever I felt the sharp pain, I would also have a sharp pain in the groin region. So I began to suspect that maybe the two were connected. And around that time I had no health insurance. So I was kind of worried about, you know, medical bills when I had student loans and everything to worry about. I remember talking with one of my sisters and saying if the pain didn't get any better by the end of the week, I would go to the ER and see what was going on. And then when I got off the phone with her, I noticed blood in my urine. When I saw blood in my urine, my first thought was maybe kidney stones. And you know, like most people do, I head over to the internet and Google and the first thing that popped up at that time was cancer. I didn't believe it. I was fairly young still and, you know, healthy and doing all the right things. And I didn't think, you know, cancer was a possibility for me. I thought maybe it was kidney stones. When I went down to the ER, even the nurses thought that maybe it was kidney stones. So I was feeling pretty hopeful. They took me back to do a CT scan. And then they took me back again to do another CT scan with uh, contrast. So then I, you know, kind of start to get a little worried. I remember Herman sending a text at one point saying they think it may be kidney cancer, but we were just like, oh no, there's no way. Then when they came in 
and told me the results of the CT scan, it was cancer. So I just sort of tuned everything out. I honestly, it was like in the movies where, you know, someone's talking and all you hear is womp, 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 womp. You know, I could just remember hearing the background noise of the ER, but not really, you know, taking it in because I was, you know, just so in shock and amazed, you know, so I really didn't know what to believe. During the time, the months uh, leading up to that, I had developed a cough, you know, fairly early um, in 2012. Anything of it, but the cough, you know, got worse as time went on, just as the pain, you know, got worse. So after they told me it was cancer and then I started to cough, my degree was in biology, so I had a, you know, basic understanding of cancer. So when I coughed, I kind of put two and two together and just thought, oh no, I knew it had probably metastasized to my lungs at that moment. The first ER doctor that I saw, you know, he told me to come back and see him if they gave me any problems. And at the time, I didn't understand what he meant. Why would they give me, you know, problems seeing what I was diagnosed with or whatnot. I've never had any problems growing up with any sort of in the healthcare system. I didn't know that. And when I called, the urologists weren't accepting any patients without insurance. The paperwork I had received, I guess, had like authorization, although I didn't have insurance at the time. It, you know, gave me authorization to still be seen. So I had to repeat myself about three times. And on the fourth time, you know, the person, you know, finally asked what the number was after telling me, you know, three times prior to that, that the urologists aren't accepting any patients without health insurance and you know they were really were brief with me on the phone eventually they scheduled me an appointment but so I went back to the ER you know one of my sisters kept you know calling around and you know fighting for me trying to get me an appointment scheduled it wasn't until after that they were able to schedule me an appointment with their, someone from urology and you know it was just a headache the entire way of just trying to even get an appointment or get seen by someone from the urology department. Even after I was scheduled an appointment, I had to drive to an affiliated clinic maybe 45 minutes to an hour away just to get that appointment because the appointment they originally set for me was months later. So once I was at the affiliated clinic, I was seen by someone from urology. At the time, they didn't know whether or not it was cancer. They seemed to not know. So I was a bit confused because I had received a report from the ER stating that it was cancer. And then when I saw the urologist, they seemed to not know whether or not it was cancer. And I remember the person I was seen by asked, you know, if I was in the military and overseas and had maybe, you know, picked up an STD overseas and, um, you know, something about a urinary tract infection. You know, it just didn't make any sense to me. You know, I didn't understand the disconnect because the ER clearly stated that it was cancer. But when I went to see the urologist, it was like they didn't know what was going on. At the urology office, once I was seen the first time, they wanted to schedule a follow-up even further down the road. And, you know, it was just a hassle the entire time, just trying to get seen by anyone. With the follow-up, they wanted to do an ultrasound, I believe it was. I didn't understand that either because I thought maybe the CT scan would have provided better information as to, you know, what was going on. So I didn't understand that. And then also they wanted to do an MRI, but they told me the earliest they could schedule an MRI was in September. 
and this was April, so that's like five or six months down the road that they're telling me that they could schedule me for an MRI. That made no sense to me. One of my sisters calling around, you know, people she knew at the organization um, was able to schedule me an appointment much sooner than that to have an MRI done. But, you know, I didn't understand what the disconnect was with the information from the ER and as to why the urology department didn't seem to really understand whether or not it was cancer. They also scheduled me for a biopsy, but this was after, you know, the ultrasound and the MRI and all of those things. You know, from what I had seen online, once I, you know, started researching the cancer, it didn't make sense for me to wait five or six months to have an MRI done or anything done because all of the information I had seen about the cancer online was not good and how um, patients had passed away within six months of being diagnosed. So, you know, it just really didn't make any sense to me at the time. And even with follow-up visits to the urologist, it was always, you know, it seemed to be less concern from the urologist than there was from the ER doctors. The ER doctor seemed to be a lot more concerned than the doctor from the urology department. And um, the doctor from the urology department that I saw was always real, you know, brief with me. And, you know, you just kind of know when you're being blown off, I would say. I finally was able to get his attention on the way out of the room and let him know that I had a cough for several months that kept getting worse and that my chest burned when I breathed. So that really caught his attention. And then he scheduled me to have an x-ray done of my chest, then an appointment with the internal medicine department. When I went to the internal medicine department, just from them having my records and whatnot and seeing what was going on, they showed a far greater level of concern than the urology department. I didn't understand that either, you know, but uh, just the treatment from the internal medicine department was, you know, far better than I was receiving from the urologist or, you know, anyone in the urology department. And the internal medicine uh, doctors and staff were, you know, quite concerned for my health and well-being. The internal medicine department, they, you know, got back to me about my uh, chest x-ray and they told me indeed that the cancer had metastasized to my lungs. You know, after that I still had follow-up appointments with the urology department and it was always about surgery and removing the kidney without any sort of further investigation, no talk of any, you know, chemotherapy or anything like that. I had the biopsy done to, I guess, confirm whether or not it was renal medullary carcinoma. Even in dealing with that, you know, I expected to have blood in my urine after, you know, having a biopsy of my kidney done. That happened and it stopped after about a week. And then maybe a week later, you know, I began to urinate blood again. It was to the point where I was really concerned. I called the number that they gave me couldn't get anybody, so I tried the ER again, called someone from there, and I was just flat out told, you know, by that person on the phone that it's not right and it's not fair, but people without insurance, they put towards the bottom of the list. You know, I remember just going to the ER that night, or that day, and staying nearly 10, 12 hours by the time I was done. So thankfully, the next day, the blood in my urine had cleared up, and when I had that follow-up appointment with the urologist, I had talked to the urologist about it. I, you know, let him know that I was concerned that, you know, just even literally taking a sip of water, I would urinate probably maybe a liter or so of just straight, you know, red. So I was concerned about that. And uh, his reply was something along the lines of, you know, it's to be expected if you just had a hole punched in your kidney. You know, it's like, I get that, but literally just taking a sip of water, the amount, the volume of urine that I was releasing was like, way disproportionate and it was just all red so I was concerned about that you know that's just the reply I got from the urology department. I think the main thing that 
kind of took my breath away was like how nonchalant he was about the entire thing. It was like no sense of urgency at all, especially once we had Googled the type of cancer and we knew what it was. It was like time is of the essence. There's just no time to delay these scans or whatever it else it was he was wanting to do. We knew that it needed to happen right away. When we saw it wasn't happening right away, it was kind of like, okay, well, what are we gonna do? We need to make some decisions now. They didn't really seem to care. The way I look at it was like, he didn't have insurance. Um, they saw the type of cancer he had, probably had never treated it before. Instead of giving him a referral to an academic center that did know how to treat it, they just kind of brushed him off, kept brushing him off, as if to say, well, you're gonna die anyway. You know, that's the way I felt. I just think there should have been more of a sense of urgency with them. I came across, I guess, like a cancer messaging board online, just seeing what other patients and their families were saying about that particular type of cancer. I came across a Dr. Tanier's name three times maybe in that messaging board. I thought maybe it was the same person, you know, repeating the same doctor's name, but it was three separate people at the time that were named Dr. Tanier. So that's when I Googled and, you know, found MD Anderson, saw that he was a doctor there. I could see his profile. I could see numerous uh, publications and whatnot that he had, and he just seemed like really experienced. I really didn't know if he were, would reply or not, so I just reached out and sent him an email. I remember the day, April 22nd, 2012. I was in Munich, Germany, giving a talk on kidney cancer, and I got this email on the weekend, on a Saturday. I remember it like it happened this weekend. and. An individual emailed me, very concerned and very anxious about being diagnosed with RMC and was scared and was given a bleak outcome, a bleak future. I responded to him, I said, do not despair and there is hope and I'll see you in the clinic when I return. And that's how what happened. Dr. Tenier explained to me that he has experience in dealing with renal medullary carcinoma and that they have experience dealing with it at MD Anderson Cancer Center. I was a bit concerned because they were located in Houston, Texas, just not being from there and, you know, the whole issue with health insurance and whatnot, not being a resident of that state. I really didn't know how I would be seen by him in that clinic. So when the doctor, they said, there's nothing we can do here for you. I went to the airport, picked up a rental, and then we drove 17 hours um, to Houston. I just remember Herman being quiet the entire ride, just because the cancer had already spread to his lungs and you know he had that uncontrollable cough. So if he tried to laugh or if he tried to talk too much, he'd just start coughing uncontrollably. After several emails with Dr. Tanier and his staff, they took into consideration that I wasn't from there, that I didn't have any insurance, and that I wasn't a resident of Texas. So he spoke with the highest authorities at the hospital. He told me and, you know, explained to them my situation. And they were able to approve me for an override for me to be seen out there to be, I guess, treated as a resident of Texas, because if you're not, you would have to pay for everything up front right there. With the override, he made it I could be seen and, you know, I guess treated as a resident of Texas and not billed up front on the spot. So Herman came with his sister, Cora, uh, to the clinic and we confirmed the diagnosis of RMC. He presented with 
weight loss, fever, cough. He had a mass in the right kidney, and he had spread of the cancer to the lymph nodes and to the lungs. So we began a series of treatments, and this is in 2012, uh, cytotoxic chemotherapy, chemotherapy that uh, has been the cornerstone of treatment for cancer for decades, and is what has been mainstay of therapy for renal medullary carcinoma or RMC at the time, and it still is. So we treated him um, with uh, a combination of two drugs, paclitaxel or taxol and carboplatin. So my first treatment, the first day there, it was just more CT scans, a bone scan, an MRI of the head, and you know, things like that. So just within the first day, just numerous scans the first couple of days and then by the third day chemotherapy. Actually uh, here the urologist wanted to remove my kidney and in talking with Dr. Tanier ahead of time he explained to me that systemic therapy or chemotherapy was the mainstay to shrink the tumor first and then remove the kidney but here there was no talk of you know anything of you know chemotherapy it was all we could remove the kidney just that type of talk but no no talk of chemotherapy first to reduce the size of the tumor or anything like that just even after the second round of uh, chemotherapy they noticed a significant um, decrease in the size of the tumor so I was pretty happy and thankful for that because you know just given all the information I read about the cancer um, it wasn't really good I was pleased to you know know that it had such a good response to the chemotherapy quite honestly after the first first round of chemotherapy that I had that same day, I was pretty worried because I didn't have any pain medication with me at the time, and the pain from the cancer was just excruciating. I was worried that during my treatment, I didn't take my pain medication ahead of time, so I was pretty worried that I would, you know, wind up in pain during the treatment. I could feel a difference by the end of the day, and I didn't need my pain medication at all just from having the chemotherapy. So I sort of, you know, thought maybe something good was happening, you know, so I received a call from Dr. Tanier just after the second cycle of chemotherapy, you know, explaining to me that there was a significant reduction in the size of the... Uh, he had a, a, an excellent response. He felt better quickly. And after five cycles, I remember the number of cycles he, we administered after five cycles, we, I sent him to one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Jose Karam uh, at MD Anderson, to remove his right kidney because he had such a fantastic response. And I knew that uh, you know, removing the kidney will be in his, in, in his benefit. So we did that, and uh, lo and behold, when we reviewed the pathology of his kidney, we had to look hard to find where the tumor was in the right kidney. He had such a fantastic response. Not only his tumors in his lungs and lymph nodes disappeared, resolved, but even the mass in the kidney was gone and there was only a minute focus of residual RMC in the kidney. I would say right after surgery, just immediate pain. <laughs> you just wake up to immediate pain. Oh, and you remember the pain? Yeah, I remember the pain. I remember like just maybe Five minutes before opening my eyes, I could hear someone repeatedly uh, calling my name. Just being in pain and then opening my eyes and, you know, the pain was pretty tough. I was just in and out of being awake and being asleep and they give you a, I guess, like a morphine button 
and you press it once every 10 minutes. They had to keep placing it back in my hand because I w was always, you know, I wasn't fully awake yet. You know, the anesthesia hadn't, you know, worn off. So I know they were pretty frustrated with having to keep on, you know, placing the morphine switch back in my hand, but it's like, I don't have any control over that. Like I, I you know, kept falling back asleep and, you know, just in and out of being awakened, you know, sleep until the anesthesia wore off. Just being in pain, but surprisingly, as each day passed by, the pain got a little bit less. It was still, you know, pretty intense, but not as intense as, you know, I thought it would be like. It got better as every day went by. Post-operatively, after he recovered, at the time, uh, the era of target therapy for the most common type of kidney cancer, clear cell, renal cell carcinoma, was in vogue. And so after he had five cycles of chemotherapy, I wanted to give him a break from the chemotherapy and not to resume it right after surgery. So I started him on a drug called Pazapanib, which is one of the drugs at the time that was approved for kidney cancer for the most common type clear cell. And after eight weeks, we repeated his imaging studies, the CAT scans, and his disease had recurred. And that was very disappointing, of course, for us and for Herman, because that eight-week treatment with this FDA-approved agent for the most common type of kidney cancer didn't touch it, didn't touch his RMC. So I tried a different cytotoxic regimen, a different combination of chemotherapy drugs uh, with doxorubicin, it's also known as adriamycin, and gemcitabine, gemzar, and he did not respond. So I went back to what worked for him in the beginning, but at this time, I told Herman, this is a long journey. We're going to have to be aggressive. I'm going to continue giving you this treatment as long as you're able to tolerate it. And I'm not going to stop at a finite number of cycles. I'm going to treat you like I treat acute leukemia. We're going to treat, we're going to have to hammer this RMC until we eradicate it. And we did. And he put up with it. And we treated them for about two years. They were worried about stopping, you know, any chemotherapy. So after a series of scans, I would say maybe a year later after chemotherapy, the scans that I would have prior to chemotherapy, things looked to be steady for several months. And since they seemed to be steady, they, you know, decided to give me a break from uh, chemotherapy and then just continue to monitor with scans and see how things were going. So in the subsequent visits, thankfully, everything remained stable in those scans. Today, I can say that he is a cancer survivor. He um, is now nine years since I initially met him. Herman has become the beacon of hope for patients with RMC the world over. So what I would tell a newly diagnosed RMC patient today is do your best. I know that's what I told myself um, when I was diagnosed and reading all the little bit of information that there was at the time on the cancer. None of it was, you know, any good. And I was really, you know, I guess scared and concerned because, you know, it's nothing, you know, physical in front of me that I could, you know, defend myself against, you know, so um, being able to, you know, let go the, of something that I didn't have any control of and tell myself, you know, that I would just go through the chemotherapy and, you know, do my best. That's what I told myself. And, you know, 
try not to focus so much on any of the negativity. I know there have been some improvements, I would say, since I was diagnosed. So stay hopeful because, you know, things are changing and hopefully, you know, there are better, you know, therapies and, you know, more effective therapies and treatments on the horizon. So stay hopeful. My name's Herman Connor and uh, I'm an RMC survivor.